It is Tuesday and time for Macro to Micro Power Hour. Thank you so much for joining. I'm Samantha LaDuc, founder of LaDucTrading.com, and I'm joined by Jonathan Gibbons, also founder of ThigTech.io, where I'm hosting my new indicators of risk, which are coming in handy for um, this particular market environment. So I wanted to... Um, invite Jonathan today and talk about this lovely uh, regime change that seems underfoot with um, interest rates. Obviously, all the world is a flutter. Uh, at first, you know, it was lower for longer and we wouldn't have any issues with the uh, Fed hiking schedule. And then all of a sudden, inflation expectations started moving quite higher into the Biden bid and the um, Georgia runoff and post-election. And then, of course, the Pfizer vaccine gave everything a nice lift and inflation expectations ran like hot fire flames and pulled commodities and yields with it. Now we're getting to a point where the uh, the big tech plays are starting to say, wait a minute, how high is this going? And should we reconsider real yields are, in fact, they've gone positive. So that's a, a change. We want to talk about interest rates as it relates to um, economic health as it relates to volatility in equities, because we've had quite a bit of volatility in bond land. And I just thought it would be helpful to kind of focus on that today with uh, Jonathan. Jonathan really had this mind, um, uh, this quote in his mind, he said, that was stuck for three weeks. He actually, you're the one that actually brought up the idea, we need to talk about rates. I can't get this phrase out of my head. So wh what is the phrase that was in your head so we can, we can, we can exercise it? Okay. So, you know, this is something that uh, has been running around my head for the last three weeks, but more importantly, like the last several years. And it's Jim Grant's comment, because um, I love uh, Grant's Interest Rate Observer and following Grant for a long time, is that interest rates are prices. Prices have consequences. Therefore, you can assume that interest rates have consequences. And for the longest time, we have kind of just gone lower for longer. And this is a long cycle, right? This is a long cycle of interest rates going back to the 1980s, um, early 80s. But in the last few years, we've seen a lot of change, really since 18, on like uh, that we're starting to kind of get into that area where what are the unintended consequences of what we've been doing with interest rates? Because it's bleeding into a lot of areas and we're starting to see really mania type environment. And I think it all goes back to interest rates. And when you keep interest rates this low for this long, you get all kinds of different, different effects um, because of the way that interest rates affect risk and the way interest rates really affect everything. And so that's what I was thinking in my mind. And we can kind of dig into that a little bit because um, a couple of people have asked me, because interest rates are like a really kind of you know, a lot of folks in trading or, or in investing, they kind of wrap their head around certain, you know, what does this mean or has it relate to mortgage rates or how does it relate to, you know, bank lending, LIBOR, uh, SOFR, those types of things. Um, those are set rates. But like, what does it really mean? Like, how does this really impact the trading that takes place and the way people are positioned? And then how does this really impact? Because, you know, you, you, we've been talking about the last couple of weeks with interest rates rising, it impacts inflation directly. But then also, what about these unfunded liabilities that are sitting out there? What about the way that we have to fund the mechanism of the existing bonds that, that, that um, the country has to utilize to, to basically fund itself, right? There's a lot of different things at play that these interest rates directly affect. 
So how and what are the most important things related to interest rates? I think it's really something everybody could think through because Grant's, you know, interest rate observer, that's his thing, right? And, you know, it's really the, the whole study of interest rates and how they impact risk as it's, as it's itself, right? And, and when you start thinking about risk, you think about loan risk. When I go to the loan and I, I take out risk and then I get a credit score and it rates my interest rate based on that to, you know, way people borrow for funds, right? And the way funds are set up for, for um, share float, everything. Interest rates are everywhere. So that's where I was going with it is that we're starting to see this kind of mania environment um, that is really out of this world at this point and has all kinds of unintended consequences. And I, I really think everything tracks back to interest rates. All right. Well, we need to go back, I think, before we can go forward a little bit, because we've been talking about this for a while as it relates to um, a tell for higher yields. And this is something I was um, scanning because when we actually started this whole series, we started off on the concept that we were going to have um, a yield pop and a, a higher rate environment. And this was going to bring about some changes, if you will, in the reflation trade. So yeah. It was just, it's kind of funny because I know we started in November and we were talking about um, this from the, you know, summer, if you will, inflection of extremely oversold, you know, value, um, you know, plays that were, that popped up back in July and then got whacked right back down. The second time that they did that, it was really on the expectation of Biden gaining in the polls and then the election, the Biden win. Um, what was going to happen, obviously, we we're going to have a constitutional crisis or not, but we actually had the blue wave. So it has just given, um, you know, a stronger impetus to the, the tailwind, if you will, of inflation expectations with more stimulus. And it's driving everything in the cyclical commodity kind of value space higher. It does make a difference um, as it relates to, you know, hedge funds who were pre predominantly short value, long tech. And now we saw this total sideways move in tech for the past six months while reflation kind of caught its breath, whether or not it's real, it's perception, right? So now that we have tech, now that we've hit, you know, a 10 year yield of like the 1.35 area, now tech is coming under pressure. And that's something that you and I've also talked about when does volatility kind of enter the market? And I saw it strongly back in, you know, uh, late January, we had a one-day wonder, 62% spike. And then again, recently, um, last time we talked, I said, yeah, my stock bond volatility ratio is like a week out before we're going to actually start having a regime of volatility because the rate volatility, the move index and such, is going to spill over into equities. So it's kind of calling uncle. Now it's gotten right to that sweet spot of maybe, maybe rates really do matter. I mean, the whole SPAC asset class has been very much based on um, a higher rate of return on you know, zero risk, if you will, because this low rate environment. And mm -hmm. Bitcoin has been, you mm -hmm. know, just again, I think a commodity trade. That's why I've been, you know, yep. it, it's not the dollar necessarily, but it's the whole rise up in reflation and commodities It's dragging Bitcoin with it. There are other reasons I know, and I'm not a Bitcoin guru. I'm just saying to me, it has traded very much like a commodity. <laughs> so now that yields are getting a little bit too, I guess, um, uh, too high, but now the debate is, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. L low rates were really good for equities. Now they've risen. We're going to change the narrative. 
they're actually, they're also good for, for equities because it, it, it signifies strength. You can't have your cake and eat it too. <laughs> 100%. Rock in a hard place. Right. right? Rock so, in a hard place. And then Powell comes in today and says, yeah, yeah, don't worry. We're not going to change a darn thing. And yet he's also talking down inflation, meaning, and he said it right outright, the risk is to the downside in inflation. Guess who else did that back in 2008? She was the one outspoken, like inflation's going down, not up. And it happened to be a spike of, you know, kind of a freak of nature spike in oil and yields and commodities right before the market collapsed a goodly amount for six months, right into the 09 March low. But it was Yellen who said that in the FOMC meeting um, uh, back in 2008. So it's kind of similar. I don't know. I, I heard him today and I could just hear her. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I think they can't say, they can't say, you know, we've got inflation, we need to raise rates because they can't raise rates, right? I, it's a rock and a hard place right now. And that's why I really think that this is a super interesting spot because what are they going to do? Are they going to raise rates or is the, or is the market going to raise rates with, with inflation that we're seeing? Because we're seeing significant inflation. And then you've got the whole, kind of uh, economic reopening in the in the spring and summer, which is really on track. I mean, I'm hearing nothing that says that's not on track. And so that could get really hot. And then you've got the, you know, STEMI round number 27 or whatever we are on, like uh, in the first of March, that's, you know, pretty much rolling through approvals right now with more fiscal direct, right? At, at the, another 1400 per person under $75,000. So, so you've got massive kind of, they, they are, if they don't kind of, stifle this, this, this could get out of hand. And you could talk really, really theoretically about, you know, market participants and all that kind of stuff where they flock to, um, you know, SPACs, you, you name it. Like, um, I don't really want to do that per se. I, I default to let you kind of roll through these things you prepare it. But the very interesting thing to me is there, do they have to make a move here? like uh, to, to stifle this, or is this inflation that they're just going to let ride because they can't do anything? I think that's a huge question. Can they do anything? I don't, I don't know. Like I, I, I've been wondering that to myself. Can they rate, you know, we've raised rates historically whenever we started to get rampant inflation, you would, you know, they, they, they pull it up. Are they in a position like previous analogs where they can pull it up a little Right. Well, I don't it depends know. on the market. So, and I'm yeah. not an expert on this, but I have been reading about it, which is why I was um, basically writing about this for clients. And then I tweeted some highlights of it over the weekend, which was very much, um, I want to kind of come up with one real quick. Um, this chart that I was looking for, because I knew that Powell was going to be coming in Tuesday and Wednesday to speak. And the, the mention really was, watch what he, what he says, of course, but the, the SLR decision to kind of has not been made yet in the funding markets, mm -hmm. with the money market um, going negative, rates going negative, the need to raise interest rates. Would there be anything discussed there? Then specifically higher rates in that um, kind of that, that whole repo and money market space need to go up. So technically, how is the market going to respond to that? And I think this was uh, one thing uh, highlighted this weekend was the risk to the bond market, they already smelled it. So they sold off a little bit more aggressively. Now they've been selling since, you know, August. We've been yeah, talking about months, the bond short, months, yeah. literally. We've been talking about the bond short since August, um, bonds and gold. 
And it, you know, this is not good for gold with real rates rising, but it's it's still not the the play. The play seriously has been bonds were in a bubble; they needed to get some steam let out, um, and they are absolutely you know letting out some some air. Uh, they're on some pretty credible support right now, which is my major question is now that we've come down um, a lot, right? So from August into end of September, September is a decent amount of, you know, froth. Now, if we bounce, it's typically bonds higher, equities lower. And we've right. already seen this kind of equilibrium where they're starting to sell off on inequities for sure. Certain legs, all the legs of the table that we've been talking about week after week after week that have given sway. Yep. Now we've got big tech that seriously is looking like, you know, wobbly. So, mm -hmm. and that's been holding, that had been holding, had been holding until the past week. So the, the move index that smelled the potential for, I think the funding market needing higher rates um, the SLL de SLR decision that was not made or spoken about today in Powell's talk to Congress, um, to me, bond vol is staying, um, uh, you know, bid, but it's nothing compared to just equities under the surface starting to smell that he just said inflation's okay to go up. That's basically what, what was telegraphed this morning. So they're not going to do anything. This is like a clear path for this trajectory to, to continue higher. Right. I think personally, there's gonna be a pullback right now in yields, a little reflation pullback just to test the bulls. We've gotten literally from uh, low to high. I don't know if I've shared this chart before, but um, let me try. It's kind of messy. So let me just do this real quick. And I'll show you something else. All right, so this is just obviously the 10 year, but this was when I was writing about this Biden bid, this huge ginormous 10 year expansion candle here that um, back in August, all right? So this was literally August 4th. I said, okay, gold, I think is turning. I, I really see this as a short and gold and bonds trade together. Wrote this little note that this was, a, I think the yield curve um, is you know going to start steepening and and yield pop is going to start moving and it's been trading technically i mean this is a weekly chart just for those who are looking at tnx and i know this is really busy but the point is it has stayed beautifully in trend above this 10 week and it has stayed beautifully beautifully until it just reached a really big to me anyway important level which was this 1.34 1.35 area so this is something that we've talked about, but it's not anywhere near as, um, you know, surprising as bonds selling softly as yields rose and commodities screaming a lot higher. But then the past week, bonds started to accelerate to the downside. And that made the whole risk parity, you know, um, portfolio. I mean, that's just the whole, the whole mechanism uh, kind of at risk. So I had written about that, that that was going to be the next kind of shoe to drop. And let me show you that because you and I've talked about this risk parity ETF. I can show that as well. All right. So literally this is February, March. This is risk parity ETF. We had a little softening here, August through November, and then it took off again. But basically, you can kind of see that recently it also reversed literally at a 1618 level. Can you technically trade risk parity? I do. <laughs> and it has dropped below the 10 weeks. So for me, this, this risk parity trade 
that everyone talks about shorting volatility, right? Is, is literally something you can technically graphically represent in this ETF. I don't know if anyone ha has done that, but you and I, you pointed out a whole bunch of alternative ETFs that you can kind of trade um, yeah. to, because the VIX short volatility is so difficult and it's also yeah, very, very dangerous. Difficult. Yeah. And today I read, um, I actually had gotten um, an article from Harry Bassman, who is the creator of the MOVE Index, the Treasury Volatility Index. He did right. a PDF. And I actually sent that to you. It wasn't for yep. today, but it was just the concept of um, he's joined a firm and the firm has announced a short volatility ETF without the dangers of blowing up. And it's his brainchild. Yeah, I'm gonna have to read through it. It um, was you said it to me. It was very mathy, so it's like you know, 30 <laughs> minutes before. I'm not gonna digest that. And then no, that wasn't the expectation. Yeah. But it was just the timing of you know, risk parity. Um, Bassman has a new ETF that is literally. I'm sure it's gonna get a lot of attention. How to short, you know, how to short the VIX safely. I guess that's kind of the concept. But in the meantime, I don't think VIX is acting very well as a hedge. No. So, it's been a lot. Yeah. It's been a lot easier to kind of look at this um, yield curve steepening, coming up to these certain levels, and then going, okay, now what are equities going to do? There's a big. There's a big giant pause, and hold on, let me just get this as well. We've talked about this in my Slack channel. Um, I post these intermarket deals, and. This is not a new one, but for example, whoa, sorry about that. So this is the two year, right? This is um, something we've also been tracking and I show this intermittently. This is steepening, right? This is the yield curve and here it is at price target, quote unquote, price target 1.2. This is strong, however, it, it might pause a little bit but this is a really strong pattern for higher. And when I look at bonds, mm -hmm. And we've talked about the bond short, you know, again, this is the August high and it broke down decisively through even price targets that I had 150, 145. And it's on a little bit of a support right now. Actually, it's on pretty good support right now, um, the 200 week. So would not surprise me if we bounce. But now with bonds, the TLT in particular, um, you know, falling from that, let's say 170 to 140 area, what will happen now if bonds do on this oversold bounce strongly bounce what do you think equities will do it's hard to say right you I mean you we're looking at a lot of different dynamics that what i was going to say is that the unintended consequences of everything that's transpired with let's just take a real basic one like a company like uh when you have a a lot of uh excess liquidity a lot of the venture stuff really takes hold and you go towards that because nothing, the risk-free rate is so low that the you're going to, yeah, 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 all that. Right. And then some of the stuff that comes out of that type of stuff, like a, like a Robin hood, right. Mm -hmm. Comes from that environment because of those constructs that that's able to be done. That comes into the market and it has these dynamic effects like we've seen with the options buy. Right. That has changed options purchasing, which required everyone else to change TD, Schwab, E-Trade, et cetera. They all have to change. Now we're sitting here and we would typically say correlations like bonds, you know, equities. Right. Or like this historically analog. This time, maybe 
maybe it's a different type of reflexivity than we're used to. That's where I was kind of thinking, and that's kind of my big kind of question the other day when I was really thinking about interest rates as, as it relates to what kind of unintended consequences are we now dealing with where all of these correlations are broken. And so you're almost monitoring these trades independent of one another, and then kind of uh, in conjunction with where they kind of line up indirect comparison. So I, I wonder, like, I don't know that bonds, like equities bounce or equities drop, bonds bounce. Is that inter, interdependent or is that, you know, associated? I, I'm, and I'm- We've, we've had my, bonds fall with equities, no question. Correct. But right? I think we're, yeah. but I'm trying to parse this out because this has been a fabulous short trade for gold and bonds. The risk Correct. reward yeah, right now trade. for a continued fall is low for me, right? I want to see some kind of movement, right? To, to like give it some support and then reshort again, for example. If I'm if I'm one who believes the bond bubble needs to, you know, come a little bit lower, which is my basic thesis, right? Right. So regardless, I I'm now looking at a, a an inflection point where bonds are going to bounce, right? Yields are going to come down a little bit, test this whole Powell, you know, comment of inflation really has risks more risks to the downside than upside. Um, and he's talking his book. So, and many believe it um, and they can control it to a degree. But for right now, the biggest question, cause you're talking about, you know, this, this kind of um, unintended consequences is what happens if this is really broken, bonds bounce and equities go down. Like they sh like we have typically been, you know, used to. Used to, right? Right, but right. right. So this is, and we already see what's happening in the market with the Bitcoin and the EV and the SPACs and the cannabis and now big tech. There has been this dramatic impulse higher and then an air pocket of volatility to pull them back down. And right now, there a lot of stuff is actually on support. So will it get defended? while I think bonds are actually gonna bounce. So that's why I was kind of curious when you're talking about un unintended consequences, wouldn't it be, um, I, could, I guess you could say that, ah, what's the expression when you have, um, the traditional actually starts to kick in again? Cause right now yeah. we've, been, we've been warped. Yeah, correct. I, I think that's fair. I think that's very fair to, to think because once it gets to a place where the market begins to self-regulate, to my point, like maybe they are talking their book, but interest rates are just going up because of the nature of what's transpiring, right? And that is where we get back into a more normalized environment of what we're used to. We could be, we could be, you know, nearing that that point. And I, I was, I was interesting. Like when you look at uh, Russell today, like the Russell and the Nasdaq, almost like right on cue, right? When you talk about this, like kind of algorithmic purchasing environment that kicks in with these correlations non-correlation so nasdaq was down what it was down four percent something like that this morning up broke even for the day um bought right at the right at the marker and it broke the pair of parabola that was uh, set up a couple of days back and has been just kind of leaking lower since then and finally like broke off and now it's coming back to retest that there's but like there's these reasons for that because yeah, there's these mechanical structures that are taking place, right? And standard right. deviation move. I mean, it was a it was a two and a half standard deviation move in that spy drop. 
So just as an outlier on an intraday, because I talked about this in my live trading room, this puppy's going to bounce. I mean, it is on perfect 100%. intraday support. Yeah, net, it's a mood, but then yeah. what? Yeah, well, I mean, you got you to gotta say, right? Like, the, you know, we've got right behind that there's these these options windows right that are that are taking place and you know with the options trading these option windows become even more pronounced right than they have historically so i i go i i said like the last few weeks and i kind of stick to it there's this window between uh february options expiration and march options expiration we've seen the tesla thing fall apart like you've talked about no, oh, and you brought that up a couple of months back. And, you know, now that that's played out exactly. That's the wheels have come off of that to an extent. And now we've got this, you know, I'm, I'm concerned about the, the, the stimulus, the direct stimulus in the first part of March going into direct pockets that will go directly into options trading. It's just like, it's hard to wrap your head. It's like that you could see equities come off, but those those things have come off those Momo trades. I did a little post about that the other day where the Momo YOLO trades, as I call them, like all those had been kind of sucked out with, with a re, with a recharge, like a re-up of the, at the arcade, are those going to come right back in, uh, in, in March for one more go around? I don't know. Like those are the kind of like bizarre things you never think you would be discussing, right? Like we're talking about bonds and, and yields and everything else, but this is dramatically affecting the market structure and to, to discount it is, is like a, to me, it's like, I can't, I can't discount this to an extent until we see. So I think equities, equities are like definitely at a place where the, 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 they have to fairly deal with what, what's transpiring because of the valuations are so stretched and to continue buying requires fiscal stimulus. And then you're looking at the bond trade, which bounces, you know, do those just revert or do they run together and then break? I don't know, right? It could bounce and then equities kind of bounce from here just based on options flows uh, alone, just uh, what could be incoming in the first weeks of March, which is next week. So I, I wonder, you know, I, I, I think that the market structure mechanics mm -hmm. in the, our short run impact the longer term impact, what you're discussing is definitely going to overwhelm it. But in the short run, could we see it drag a little bit more um, for the equities, making it even more uh, uh, convoluted to an extent, which is, again, unintended consequences. Um, that's kind of where I sit at the moment that I'm not. Oh, you look at how short these these actions are. Well, well, I'd say two things that I saw in the last week. You've got the overnight action. So the OVN session. Um, was lower. So there wasn't pajama traders pushing that up and as it relates to the typical kind of flows basis. So those came down. And then in the, in the inner day, it was bought, right? So it comes back up. And then today was the first time you saw it actually drop and the behavior set right in and people immediately bought it and it, it comes right back up. So the behavior pattern intraday hasn't changed at all um, the last two weeks. E mm -hmm. Even though we've had a, we've had drops, and the drops have all been in overnight sessions, so I think that is a different change in market behavior from a market structure perspective as it relates to session trading. Um, that the overnights are now selling instead of buying, and the daytime's buying, but nothing stuck yet. And so, what you know, what does that really mean as it relates to the the correlations? That and so I, that's how I kind of incorporate it now, as I try to add that factor to it, uh, to these kind of more macro perspectives, because these micro sessions and these levels are just, you know, just like clockwork, like Russell hit 2175, bingo, you know, 75 points, something to that effect, 
you know, I tweet about this afternoon, but it was just, it was just a marker overnight session was kind of soft. We finally got a selling at the open thing, bought it. Right. And now we're back into the kind of, you know, flows back in on the buy side. Now from a market perspective, you can see that the flows overall for Q's are negative. Like you're referencing, that's the big macro trade. To me, the securities flows itself are on a negative set side for us based on our systems. You can, you can definitely see that. I said this afternoon, I was like, you can see these two gaps that got left, 32, 20, 322, I think, and then 331 in the Qs. And at 322, I, I think two hours after I said, you know, it's going to hit it. The, the, these things like, you know, this short-term impact stuff is just so powerful at the moment because it's like turbocharged. And so I'm remiss to say, you know, we're going to definitely get uh, a timely sell-off as it relates to bonds uh, correlation just yet, it may be, or it may prolong, but the bigger pictures are really starting to shape up here as these legs get knocked out because of what happened. I mean, other thing, the only thing I could think of is that you continue to get $1,400 stimulus checks. And I really don't know what to say about that. Right. I, and I don't, and I think at a rock and a hard place comes into, can they do anything about these interest rates as far as raising them, or is they going to be forced to, are they going to be forced to, should say? And then if they can't do anything about the interest rates, then is this what we're going to see? Constant support of the, of the through fiscal, right? To people's pockets, which is going directly into the market. It's not going, we'll see when they can, when people can go out into the public because people have been at home for, for a year, right? And a lot of this money, like I've been talking to data folks behind the scenes, and the volume increase in trading activity is no joke. Like the, the exchanges and so forth, this is no joke how much activity has increased. Will that persist when people are able to go back outside? I think that's a big question to ask. And does that impact that? Does that impact uh, these correlations that start to come back to more normal environment where we're used to seeing these things begin to play out? Because the sessions just, they actually are not as distorted Right. Or, or is this more of a, a long term impact that now is just the way things go and we normalize into some sort of different kind of of market structure? Yeah, I, I have no it, answer to that. Yeah, I don't. I, I, I mean, I know that the can't wait to get out and can't wait to travel and all of that. But no, I think that the take the appetite has been whetted and there is not going to be a return to normalcy in any way. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Volumes and, totally and agree. But it's um, just to kind of, Thomas asked a question. Um, I don't know if you want to hit that, but banks are long treasuries. So might they control when treasuries rally and or equities sell off? I'm not, um, do they have, yeah, it's a closed loop in a lot of cases for the banks um, as it relates to that whole mechanism. But what I, what I grabbed from a direct message um, was very interesting because I had tweeted it might give some insight to an answer. I had tweeted that this reminded me of September 2019 with repo. I had kind of pulled that uh, particular article that I had written to clients and it wrote, it, it was basically uh, the freeze in overnight fed, le fed lending was likely from the treasury sell-off last week that triggered the growth to value unwind. And now with oil much higher, this puts at risk certain hedge funds from blowing up. That was then, which basically was the, bank, the, the, the Fed coming in to kind of, you know, create this mechanism of liquidity and calm down the volatility. 
in the repo markets, it was very interesting because the it almost seemed as if the bond market from muscle memory was reacting first to a potential tip, uh, taper tantrum before any announcement of it. Mm-hmm. So this bond sell-off, if you will, and the yield spiking to 1.35, it almost seemed like it was um, front running it. And I got a, I got a response in, um, in DM that said, what happened then basically is that there are a number of hedge funds and still now you've, you know, I've talked about this of hedge funds playing the basis between on the run and off the run securities. And they depend on banks for funding. Problem with these funds is the leverage is 10 to 15 times with banks providing that funding. Mm-hmm. As the overnight funding started to move due to tax payments, what the Fed wants you to think, then these type of trades don't work as hedge funds need cheap funding. And the cheapest is overnight or short maturity. Talking about the movement also. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. yeah. This started the small fire. Then Fed did not, did not QE, right? So, so this is yeah. what happened back in the repo, right? They had to come out and saying, we're, we're not doing QE. <laughs> So um, it was kind of interesting. Then, uh, so he says, this started the fire, the small fire, then, uh, then Fed did not QE to get the overnight funding back in line. Second, Fed started the job boning to get the basis between the on the run and off the run back to normal. The other market movements were started by this butterfly effect. So this whole funding market mishap, right, that happened back in September 2019, was calmed by the Fed with their own mechanisms, not QE. And now we have tremors of it and taper tantrum kind of combined right now going on. And it's interesting because it looks like, it smells like it can happen again. And the bond market was kind of front running this. That's that's how it felt to me. Yeah, let me, let me throw this color from a conversation this weekend. Mm-hmm. So I saw one of my buddies works at desk at a bank, one of these banks you're referencing, right? And they have prop trading arms, right? So they got guys that are longs, shorts. They got guys that are ADR traders, right? You name it. Like, so they got a person in every slot. <clears throat> the short person isn't shorting. They're just not shorting. They haven't shorted in weeks. And they're, 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 they're afraid to even shoot. Like when at you say all. shorting, you're talking like, about the market or volatility? The, the market, okay. right? So typically these block trades, dark pools, a lot of these huge size that you see, the bank to bank, right? So I'm at JP or I'm at whatever, and I'm like taking huge blocks because I'm not like to even get these size, you got to call somebody and you got a clearing desk, DTCC, all that stuff. It's huge trades. Not, they're not like in the higher ups are like, you, you know, you got to be careful. Right. The GameStop thing, it was such a exposing the, the the systematic impacts that this options trading has is that when you in order for you to be able to have an actual sticking selling environment, right, you have to have sellers. Mm-hmm. And these guys are neutered. Like they're not selling. And so how do you get an actual sell that sticks? It's like this morning. It was right. 45 minutes and, and nothing happened. It was, it was, it was rapid. All the impacts we're talking about, these tantrums, well, everything. Remember, is a- it's a catalyst for a reversion trade. Not only was technical at 2.5 standard deviation, which I talked, but also Powell getting on the podium. 
Like who wants to get, um, if we've already had the short of it. There's nobody get in front of that. Nobody like, wants it, to press short. They want to cover. <laughs> I wonder how you get a sustained sell-off. And this is a real question. So I how do you get was, a sustained sell-off when guys are afraid comment. to sell? Yeah, the the socks, the blocks at the banks are afraid to sell because it's incentivized alignment. Like I've talked about, if I'm not going to get my bonus or if I'm going to get fired and getting wiped out because you can take a, a exposure on shorts or unlimited, right? So mm -hmm. we saw that and you, it's career risk now, right? To be short at, at, of size. It's potentially systemic risk to be short of size. That is a huge unintended consequence that, that will break all of these correlations. If you don't have people that are willing to take the short side, and it's then actually, what do you have? I posted um, sector by sector and of course, index by index, the percentage of shorts. And it's at one point, uh, energy is actually the most shorted, but basically the levels of shorting in the indices are at 1.5%, the lowest since 2000. Yeah. Oh, so yeah, totally. It, it, yeah, we're, we're in a one-sided deal, which John, John's right. It just goes from sector to sector. Yo, I go from expensive to what I perceive to be cheap on the purchase scale because there's nobody stepping in the way of anything. And I mean, that's, un, that's about as unhealthy a situation as you can get because you end up with prices that are just obscene and, and that cannot be sustained over any period of time outside of the short, the very shortest run. Right. So I, I don't, you know, this, that was mind blowing to me. And the conversation was like, yeah, no, seriously, like, you know, career risk, like well, and, and you, you're block size and not trading at all. So, and they, those are market moving type environments. And there's just yeah. not, not even so stepping that, that, in. There is, there is a cause um, and effect if the bond bubble, you know, in other words, so much inflow of um, assets, you know, from 2018, um, until just this year, just August, when they started to go out, right? So why would they want to get short in front of a rotation from bonds to equity? We already mm -hmm. have the Fed promising, we're not going to reduce the size of the balance sheet. We're not going to raise, um, don't worry about that. If we're going to stay lower for longer, why doubt them? Um, inflation is supposed to be really a good thing because Atlanta GDP now came out at 9.5% GDP growth for Q1, if you believe it. <laughs> So why would they, you know, get in front of that freight train um, as it relates to everything you're saying is I've seen with the data, it's there are no shorts. I mean, some energy, which is actually a good reason to be long, but mm -hmm. <laughs> um, clearly the Fed is not changing um, their mind anytime soon. And yet the inflation, you know, fear of missing out is now garnering this whole inflation cyclical super what do you call it um super cycle everyone's now and big names are now glomming on to this as a viable theme that's going to however cause some growth to value rotation especially if they are still saying liquidity's here mar markets are going to stay you know bid um higher rates are good for the economy because they're a reflection of economic growth go get those value and cyclical, you know, trades on and, and lighten up in, uh, in the tech trades. But I still can't, you know, fathom how that's going to work with Tesla having such a heavy weight and ARC, you know, having I, incredible, did you see the volume that hit in, in, in ARC today, half day? 
<laughs> like th- th- these, th- this is this is my whole selling point. volume on selling volume whole point there's no sell side there's no sell side right on that and that is all stuff that doesn't produce income at all like never i mean you look at some of the 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 data on those things that they're they're years from producing returns and we're going to value right like they, we're, we're really going to value or are we going to like value stuff right? That's just been like, you know, shorted, like planes, trains, and automobiles, right? So like, when you look at, when you look at ARC, she even said herself last week, she's like, yeah, our valuations, right? With, with where we are, if interest rates tick up at all, like we're going to be reset. She, she said, yeah, she used that. the term reset our, you know, our valuation. She didn't say like, you know, we're probably worth half, right? A bit based on, based on just sheer, sheer uh, velocity of growth, mm-hmm. right? They're so far out price. So when you look at like this entire, right, like this entire construct, how does that goes back to my first question, how does the Fed actually increase rates to really make us all think about owning the value? Okay, so I have right? I have a potential answer for that. But first, let me just show you the chart that I referenced. This is from Suburban Drone. I follow him on Twitter. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I saw it earlier today. Yeah. Oh, my God. All right, so to me, this is broken, but nobody knows it yet because we're going to bring back up to 152, exactly. 155. Exactly, like a mother, and then we're going to go, boom. <laughs> boom, yeah, totally. I'm totally with you on that. So, but, so like, we, you go ahead, go ahead. But here's what I was going to, your comment. I found a fabulous chart, total, total credit to Rareview Capital. Um, I put this uh, in client Slack channels this weekend because I think it's, it's, very impactful to our conversation of what's going to happen next um, as it relates to uh, you know direction, interest rate regime, if it's changing, which pretty much looks like the deal, right? I mean, we have definitely got real yields unlikely to decline further. And that's going to make, by the way, an impact on gold because it likes some negative. But the point is, if you can kind of take, take a look at this direction, what, what phase are we in, if you will? We've gone from, you know, and this is break even again, Fed economic scenario. Right now, we're like Fed tapering. They're not going to be doing any hiking, right? So we're right here. Real yields are rising. Break evens are kind of sideways. They have exploded higher in past months, but now it's time, I believe, for a pause. And I found this and I said, oh, they do too. Because to me, this is like, you got to digest a huge run, right? So there's got to be some digestion in, in play. But the dollar should in time get stronger. That's the other risk to the big tech, you know, higher forever thesis or to infinity kind of thesis. Um, and equities, it does say supportive in the US, um, bearish precious metals because of a higher dollar, credit spread sideways and volatility, periods of higher volatility, which I'm all over. Like, this is my thing. I, I feel when volatility is gonna come into equities, whether or not it's manifested in a VIX trade or just directional put and put spreads in particular sectors, and my top sectors for going short last week were the Bitcoin mania, like the Mara and the riots, the IWC micro caps over the small caps, because there's still a sector of value and cyclicals and commodities that are so dang strong, and anything big tech. (laughs) So it was basically, it's going to be very select roll-off, and rates, they can still stay bid, um, bonds, they can still, you know, stabilize. But to me, this is a really good chart of what to kind of anticipate for um, consequences. Any comments on that? 
No, I think this is pretty accurate, right? Universally speaking, right? Typically, yep. it's how it shakes out. I mean, one of the one of the things that um, I would say, uh, going back to that chart, I can't see it from the other side. If you could pop it back up there for me, right? The dollar, the dollar has uh, leveled, right? Not yep. breaking down, not going higher. So it's just kind of meandering sideways right here. And you don't, you you know, the key to number four. Fed hiking, right? And Fed tapering for number three. We're not, we're not seeing that at all, right? Yeah. And I don't think they can. That's my point. Like how, how with what's been put in place since last March, are they going to be able to raise rates, right? Like re they really going to come out and do that? So what is the, like this becomes the kind of situation that we're, we're staring into. It's like, so what is the, the next iteration, the next window, right? When you've got, I, I, I go back to what we've said last two weeks, this period of March that then goes into April, right? Where things could get really hot, like really hot, that nine point print GDP, mm -hmm. like that's like, that's like China, right? Like that's, uh, <laughs> You know, we're, we're talking about planned economics here, right? So like you, you, you've got that type of, that type of burst to the actual real world. You've got all these assets like Kathy Wood that's got, you know, the, what is she second to Vanguard now? Yeah, yeah. Right. As inflowed assets. And like, if you've got inflation like that, I, how does she survive where they have to actually physically hide because they have no choice, right? To put to hike and they don't want to hike. And it's hiking because you've got, you know, significant inflation in the system. And, and he can sit there and say he has no inflation. That's just total crock, right? I mean, we're all looking at it. Now have everybody go back out and have energy go through the ceiling because all of the energy company has been wiped out. They've all been wiped out. And so now they've, you know, everything is in, uh, you know, supply demand imbalance. And so what I was going to say, kind of big picture is you have, typically in life, we have seasonality, right? We, we have these periods of ebb and flow, even with life, you know, four seasons, right? During the course of the year, we have no seasonality right now. We have no correlation of seasonality. We have a one-way hot summer <laughs> constantly. And there, there begs an equal and opposite reaction to that some point this year where what are they going to have to do? to curb that because you're not going to be able, let's imagine, so $15 minimum wage, because this all plays into this. You put in $15 minimum wage in, right, to the system and you force it and everybody's got to adjust to it. And then people get let go because they're not going to keep people at $15 an hour. I mean, you know, everybody's pie in the sky. I think that they're going to, employers are going to retain employees. You know, what about the people that are already at 15? They're going to raise them to 19. And if they do all that, then they're going to pass on the price to the consumer. You're going to pay it out of your pocket. That's inflation. That, that's inflationary to the system. But then it's deflationary when people get kicked out of the system and they're back on type of UBI. So we're in these like, I think that the three, four, five here, the only thing I would say about this is, is this what it looks like this year? Or have they done some things that we don't know what they end up looking like yet? I, I, I genuinely think that we don't know. And that's why there's a lot of kind of ambiguity in some of the bid. Like the dollar's sitting there, the dollar's not getting crushed. If the dollar's going to get wiped out, people are still kind of bidding the dollar a little bit, almost as a hedge, right? Vol is not really breaking down. 
ball is kind of sitting there, sitting there as a hedge, but it's yep. not going up, right? I don't think anyone has a clear view into it, even Griffin, when he was talking in that interview. And I keep going back to that interview because I just really don't understand how they were, he was speaking so clearly about his mind, right? Um, wouldn't be hit until 2025 under Sanders' plan. Yeah, I'd have to see the statistics on that. They, you know, they're, they're putting that out like, you know, that's going to come in quick. Right. In Florida, they're already talking about incrementally. Hey, like when you push it in, like, let's talk about that offline because that's going to get pushed in. They have to push it in faster than the hundred first hundred days. So like the so when you look at this and you look at these pieces right here, like I, I think that I think everybody's like sitting on that. We don't have inflation. We're going to be able to pull these strings. Right. I, I genuinely think that we everybody's thinking we don't have inflation. Like and I think that. I, I just, I'm not sure how that works with energy, with the, with the reopening. I'm not sure that how it works with travel, with the reopening, because, and, and this is another, this is just anecdotal. I do think I have a recommendation for everybody. If the reopening does go long, like, you know, you know, strong and people are back out, you probably want to go long, like beer, <laughs> liquor, stocks, right? And maybe, you know, pharma that relates to, you know, penicillin and that kind of stuff, because I think probably gonna be a lot of, a lot of people having a good time. You know, so you might want to look at that as a trade. That's just a joke for everybody. Okay, you know, okay, no, okay. No, no joke, <laughs> but like, I think that you got really running hot that's really got to be incorporated into this as to how does that really play out plus the options piece, plus the people you going into the market with, with stimulus. And if they genuinely force this UBI stuff in, which $15 minimum wage, they're going to end up, you know, pulling around and they're going to have to do UBI because people are going to be let go by entrepreneurs and business owners. They're just like, I can't pay that. Hey, you're gone. I'm going to keep fire three, keep one. That's how that goes down. So then we have a new unemployment problem. So you've got like these things, like, you know, thinking that some of this stuff is going to work the way it, it has. I think that three, four and five related to tapering and then increasing, you know, with fiscal going directly to people's pockets, it's such a different dynamic than that normal thing that we're looking at right there. Because we've had tax cuts, we've had stock buybacks in the last 10 years. What we have not had is direct stimulus in the pockets of people. And that is the modus operandi at this point. And that is a totally different money flow dynamic because it doesn't go to the banks who go to lend. It doesn't go to MBS that backs it so that it opens up balance sheets for banks who maybe decide if they're going to lend or not lend. That goes directly to consumers' pockets, which is going to go into things that are hard and purchasable, and that's going to make things really hot, which I think inflation, hot, or deflation, you know, on the other end are both kind of the same kind of catalysts that could break, you know, the, the, the system down to what we've been talking about. It just well, we seems like- to, We got a spike there first, though. So if we get an oil spike and or inflation spike, then that has to come down and then that can break. But for right oil now- Oil needs everybody to get out of the house and that is in yeah, a prime but above situation. 65, it's a, it's a headwind, not a tailwind. So anyway, this chart I wanted to bring up because one of the first charts that I showed on when we first started doing this series and it was my, this growth to value, it's an intermarket analysis piece, it's a ratio, but this was literally September 4th, which, which was pretty much when the tech kind of went sideways. For anybody who looks at it on a weekly, you'll see a lot of sideways. But this was where I was saying it was going to head to, right? And because we were really early innings, it was just crossing over. It was definitely the mountain, if you will. And I said, are we going to walk down or roll down? And we have literally come down here. So I didn't put that, this is original chart. I didn't touch it. This just comes right from the, 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 the write-up from clients that I did. 
but this rotation is still in play. There's still more room. Like, do you understand what I'm saying? Like this totally. show is only here. It's, it's literally only here. And we still have miles to go, or I should say months to go. So I'm still on this tack. And I know what Jonathan is saying. He said, what if the rotation out of tech, and by the way, this is November um, print. What if the rotation out of tent, <laughs> tech just bleeds off the gamma squeeze without a huge correction? So let me kind of clarify. I don't think we're going to have a huge correction. I think we're going to have a series of corrections. I think that this aura of volatility that I've been talking about, this regime is coming into play between now and June. Like we're going to have ginormous, um, like the one day wonder that we did, you know, that was 62% that should have slowed down the buying a little bit. And it did, but it really didn't cause any selling, right? It caused, it caused some eyeballs to kind of open, but it didn't really cause any change in behavior. So I think this is going to happen again and again and again and again, so that we're going to have a, a form, a, pa a pattern, if you will, that's going to form in the next few months with lots of volatility to interrupt. So these themes, whether it be the SPACs or the Bitcoin, or the, you know, um, I don't, give me anything, just anything that we've talked about every single week, we take a leg mm -hmm. out from the table, right? Yep. I don't even know what's left. The bonds, yep. the big tech, uh, EV, um, cannabis. No, all the, all, the, all the Momo stuff. Like, all I just, the Momo yeah. stuff, whatever has been a bull market. Yeah. What's a net, what's the next bull market everyone wants to know? So it's gotta, it's gotta be this stuff, value stuff, right? The value stuff it, is in play and there's even more there to go is my point, yes. So I didn't want yep. to like just stick on that thing. So I don't think it's necessarily gamma squeeze that has to be unwound. I think the hedge funds who have been traditionally short value and long growth are already getting, they got the memo strongly back in July. We had a huge factor rotation. It was 8.8 .8 standard deviation move back in July. It was no joke. And then, and that was after the February, March volatility, um, you know, Armageddon two. And that was then again tested, you know, this recently with GameStop. OMG, that was like a freak of nature thing. This is going to, we're going to keep having these triggers. In fact, I don't see a catalyst for higher. I see a path of least resistance, you know, has been higher. Liquidity is still coming in. Inflation expectations are pulling up value commodity cyclicals. There's a bull market somewhere. That's where they're going. But that's late cycle. I don't see this as um, what happened in 2012, 13, when we had the taper tantrum, bonds actually fell 20%. And then in 2013, we had the best performing year ever. We closed in, in the SPY up 27%. That's what they're expecting. They're, 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 that's what I think they're hoping for. And that's what I've seen is kind of like the message, whether it be the JP Morgan house guy, Klovenak, I pronounce yeah, it. Right. Yeah, Klonovic, yeah. yeah, Klonovic, yeah. Thank you. Or Kathy Wood, they're looking at a 20%, you know, advance in the spy for 2021. And maybe we'll get it. You know, I, I'm just saying I think we're also going to get a lot of of surges, massive surges in volatility um, to kind of stop that in its tracks from really getting traction. That's my own. I think, that, I think that's very fair because as things, it, if you kind of step back and you look, I said a few minutes ago where volatility has found a kind of a leveled floor and it's not breaking down and it's not, you know, breaking out, you know, it's just kind of 
meandering at this place, same place the dollar's meandering at this place. And you've got, I I go back to the fiscal stimulus being the kind of thread in here that isn't in the last 12 years where they put it in people's pockets. And then you're going to deal with this reopening piece where you totally have, I mean, how many times have we had a coronavirus where we were all at home for, you know, 14 months and then we're going to get back out again, you know, and, and how does that go and all that stuff. But theoretically you have to think through what does that inflow or, or how does that mess with the, the, the spigots? These are spigots of, of, of liquidity. And when you have people afraid to sell, right. And then, because Kathy, what is correct? I mean, theoretically, you know, interest rates and then there's some rotation and, you know, whatever, but she shouldn't be where she is right now with the, with what they've been purchasing. Right. Like if theoretically, like we're talking theoretically. Right. So, you know, all this is really wonky in a sense that we don't know what we don't know until we see how that shakes out, which is why I think you've got the constant bid, which is why I think, you know, your volatility thesis is correct that you're going to have, I think, rising volatility with potentially rising markets. And we have not seen that, right? Um, we've seen kind of flat volatility with the market, right? But you could begin to see volatility bifurcate from the pattern and start to rise as the markets rise. That, that I don't very know. Volatility to me looks very broken. So I, I'm not, I, I'm, I'm very suspect. I'm, I'm very suspect. Um, Jonathan just brought, in other words, volatility higher with equities. It could, but I know what you're saying. I just think there's going to be... Um, too much bludgeoning it's just gonna like too erratic it's not gonna be it's not gonna be very easy to trade and i kind of jokingly said this. oh morning, i don't disagree with that at all i think it'll make, be like it's, it's gonna separate the men from the boys which is very you know funny coming from a woman but that was my right. intention yeah um, totally can see that jonathan strauss just uh, uh referenced this which is a little bit different version of the kind of long the bleed if you will the long call where we go into a steady decline um i'm still looking for a pattern you know that's going to actually create a longer more durable direction and it's way too early right now what i see is broken but i don't see a durable pattern of direction so that just tells to me it's it's too it's too soon for me but this is his thesis, I guess, which is a large scale bleed of the long call option, real and synthetic, that's becoming so dominant, which basically is a gentle downtrend. I don't know about that. Everyone has their own kind of like ways of approaching where it's going to come in. Um, and, you know, another one that Jonathan just offered up for another perspective, which I appreciate, right? Because we're trying to kind of predict um, the future here. And it's short term, it's a, it's a lot easier for me. <laughs> Crystal ball gets really foggy after a few months. But whatever kind of correction we do get will tell us a lot about the market action between now and the fall. If 2000 is an analog, we could see a nine to 70, 17% correction only to see a viable dip in late February. Let's see, that's, are they talking next February? Oh, no, no, this is here. Ah, okay. Yeah, right now. Okay, with a rally into new opening highs in April, June and the beginning of the, who knows? Like this is to me, um, 
really yeah. precise. That's yeah, that's really uh, that's 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 very precise. <laughs> I, I get the I get the the parameters of it for sure though. I mean that's kind of what I'm saying like with the relation to the the reflation of going back in the economy. That's like an X factor on my box that's like hard to even you know predict. What does that look like? Is it is it a raging success? Is it a failure? If if you've got uh, everybody kind of getting back into the swing of things, how does that affect the liquidity flows into? into this stuff, you know, inflation itself is much more prevalent than deflation at the moment. That's much more at play. Um, and the Fed is trapped and they can't do anything about it because they can't mess with their funding abilities and they literally can't afford any type of increase in rates, right? And most people across the board and, and rates increase will kill all these strategies. It kills the M&A strategy. Well, it depends it kills, on which, which you know, fund you're talking about. I think they're going to have to do something for the funding markets because that's what gives these hedge funds their leverage. And that's what allows, you know, a lot of this market liquidity. To uh, yeah, you're back end funding, front end funding, bank, bank to bank, bank to funds, banks to, you know, PE firms until like as rates stay where they are, you'll continue to see a pattern of the micro economy be, being eaten by the macro players. Right. Which creates a bunch of uh, a bunch of, you know, unintended consequences i don't have a better word for it, where we don't know what we don't know it's like a dunning kruger thing where we're really in the unknown unknowns as it relates to some of this because they've pushed in that fiscal and they kept rates at you know nothing and is that too far and the last thing i'll say about it is griffin said in that call mm -hmm. they make these decisions about policy really quickly without the right data sets or type of projection mechanisms, which is just not, not right. It's the, not the way should be doing it. And that is where we, that's where we're sitting right now, right? Is we're sitting with, you know, another, if we're going to reopen, do we, you know, and I'm not against fiscal stimulus and, and I don't want anybody to think that, right? I really have no problem. Like that's where it should go in the first place, but you've also got all this stuff on the other side, on the monetary policy that has been running for a decade. And those two things hitting at the same time with, uh, you know, the coronavirus coming off to an extent with everybody coming back in, that, that could get really, really, really hot. I, I'm, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to handicap like I appreciate that that projection, um, that precise projection, but I'm a little bit more foggy than that. In all transparency, I, I I'm much more foggy than that that exact science right there. All right, I, I I'm definitely um, still in the value trade rotation higher. I think you know some super cycle inflation calls might absolutely prove out this right. year but I think they need a little digestion right now. And the regime of it, higher interest rates definitely looks in play, although the deflation is being talked up by Powell. Um, we still have, I think, some spikes higher in the commodity trades before we could actually then like, and it happened in 2008, we had a solid spike higher in oil and yields. And then two weeks later, equities rolled over hard. So, um, but I do think the hikes are going to happen, you know, they're kind of being telegraphed in the funding market. So not necessarily, you know, what we see, but, um, mm -hmm. you know, quietly, if you will, that makes the mechanism turn. And that is on the lookout to see how that's going to be absorbed by the market. But in the meantime, my biggest thing right now is I definitely see this bond um, trade short since August 
coming right into support. And I'm excited to see what happens in the next week or two. I think it could be a very strong bond bounce. And the, the biggest question I have, obviously, for everyone to think about is what will equities do? Because typically bonds going higher means equities fail. We've had totally divergences where they've fallen together, they've risen together. It doesn't matter anymore. Throw all that stuff out. <laughs> um, eyes on the prize. You're right. Rates are definitely um, uh, unintended consequences. But right now I can't help but think we had a low rate regime and it was good for equities a high rate regime. They can't just double speak out both sides of their mouth and say, it's also good for equities. <laughs> no, no, we're certain past equities, all that. Certain equities, yes. <laughs> but, yeah, we're past on that, all that at this point. And this is a super cycle kind of culmination, I think, rather than the beginning of a new cycle for like 40 years, like we've been dealing with. We got to short sort this period out. This may take the rest of the year to sort through. It may, okay. it's going to be a moving target, I think for sure. And then hence the, the continuing to have active tools, right. Um, to kind of track this stuff in real time. And we're, we're working on some serious stuff with you with the options that, um, Can't wait. rolling out soon enough so that people can kind of track this stuff in a totally different way. Um, because the, I mean, the, the game is, the game is moving, right. The, the game is moving. It's a lot of work actually to figure out, you know, who, who, who's playing the game still and, and how they're positioned because, this is definitely, um, it, it just used to be, I don't know, simpler. <laughs> Macro is really making the world, um, I mean, really, the, the rates, dollars is sitting there. But for the most part, this macro trade is the most important thing front and center for what happens next. 100%. And equities are the unintended consequence. <laughs> yes. And they, they're the one at the table. Like I said last week, they're the drunk one at the table that <laughs> keeps serving drinks to, Seriously. right? Like they're just, oh you, oh, you need another one. No, they need to cut off, cut that one off, right? Like, <laughs> Sounds like no, the let's give bars that only close for two hours on a 24-hour right. cycle so they can that's, clean up. <laughs> that's it. We don't need to say anything else. That's it. That's the, the takeaway for the call. All right. Totally. Well, thank you so much. And thank you for joining. Thursday, we've got uh, SPAC Attack 2, which I'm excited to uh, follow up because I got to tell you, this is just a big deal in regards to what the heck is going on with I got to find it now. Close you got to keep tracking this stuff. While, I mean, this is great stuff with the it SPACs. So and it be, be, because, you know, as long as this regime stays in play, these things are, are alpha, right? I mean, you know, I'm not sure they're long-term holds. Some of them may be, but this is great stuff. To put together. Yeah, I'm trying to find the bloody um, thingy here, but this, oh, darn. Yeah, no, real quick, this is on the U 